Welcome to Full Rigor, a Florida true crime podcast. I'm Karen Curtis, and one of the biggest stories in the country is the Gabby Petito murder case and her missing person of interest boyfriend, Brian Laundrie. Remember, she's the Florida woman that was killed during a cross-country road trip with her fiancé who returned without her here to Florida, Northport, Florida, to his parents' home, and he's since gone missing. And the police in Moab, Utah, stopped the couple last month for fighting and separated them for the night. And those officers are being investigated for how they handled the situation. And now the police chief is stepping away. So I wanted to bring in an expert for you on this topic. Well, joining me now is my good friend and also the guy that we should go to in a story like the Gabby Petito murder case because he's a former FBI special agent. He's also a criminal defense attorney here in Palm Beach Gardens, and he is my friend Stuart Kaplan. How are you? Good morning, Karen, and it's nice to hear from you, and it's been a while, but I hopefully everybody's healthy and well. Well, yes, and I wanted to ask you a couple questions about this crazy case with Gabby Petito being found murdered and her boyfriend or fiancé, who was reportedly with his parents in Northport, Florida, is missing. He's on the loose. He's got a warrant out for his arrest for fraud, for using her debit card, but no warrant for his arrest in the murder. So you put your FBI hat on, first of all, and why would there not be a warrant for his arrest? Because her death's been ruled a homicide and he was the last person to see her. Okay. So I'm going to give some clarity and educate your listeners so everybody can understand factually truth from fiction. Good. So in the federal system, with respect to generally federal prosecutions, when someone is arrested, they are arrested pursuant to an arrest warrant. What precipitates the arrest warrant or the issuance of arrest warrant is an indictment. Generally speaking, indictments in the federal system are kept sealed until such time as the person is apprehended. So I will tell you that I will put my last nickel on the table that he has already been indicted for conspiracy to commit murder or the actual murder of Gabby Petito. But that indictment is sealed, and we will not learn about that indictment until such time as he is apprehended and arrested. And the reason why, and just to differentiate between why the arrest warrant was issued and disclosed to the general public in connection with the bank fraud charges, is if you look At there's a motion that was filed with the indictment to unseal it, and it specifically said that they thought that it would be strategically to the benefit of law enforcement to try to apprehend him in disclosing the fact that there is an arrest warrant for bank fraud. And that's in the government's motion that's online or, you know, if, if anybody had access to the system, they would see that. But I will tell you, as far as the homicide or murder, that's going to remain sealed. And that is going to remain sealed more so because in the indictment, it would contain evidence or information that would only be known to the government and only known to the person who ultimately may be held responsible. And they don't want to disclose that. So lots going on behind the scenes is what you're telling us. Of course. In fact, I will tell you. That, you know, one of the things that I am critical of is that we clearly realized last week that the law enforcement investigators had a lot more information than they were leading us to believe. And by way of example is 
There's no doubt by the unsealing of the indictment in connection with just his illegal, Brian Laundry's illegal use of Gabby Petito's debit card, we know that the first time he used that debit card was on August 28th up until through September 1st. So let me give you some background. We know that he came back home into northern Florida on September 1st. And how do we know that? It's because he was picked up on a license plate reader coming off the exit of I-75 at a particular uh, exit going into Northport, Florida. In her that van. Was at 10, in her van at, tw- at 1026 a.m. So that's a piece of information that is definitive. There's no disputing that. We only knew that because of the unsealing of the indictment. We also know that on August 26th through September 1st, he was presumptively used her debit card. I can tell you, Karen, that as an investigator, once I see that the debit card was used, I mean, it's easy for me then to identify where it was used. And then, of course, I'm going to send leads to those jurisdictions or those towns or cities. And I'm going to have agents then go to those places and retrieve video surveillance of him actually utilizing the debit card. By way of example, let's assume on his way home from Wyoming, he obviously would have to stop to fill up the van with gas. Let's assume someplace in Georgia or Tennessee or someplace that he crossed into, he used her debit card to fill up the van. Clearly, when he pulled into the service station, that is going to be captured on a video surveillance. Again, I will put my last nickel on the table to let you know that the investigators do have that video surveillance of him not only utilizing or using the debit card at that location, but also video footage of him as well. The only thing the government has revealed is that we know he came back home or came into Northport, Florida on September 1st. Everything else is more of conjecture or rumor or gossip with respect to the parents' involvement with respect to what they may or may not have told law enforcement as a technique that clearly would have been used by the FBI or or from the U.S. Attorney's Office is once they realized that the parents were not going to be cooperative or refused to, you know, sit down and be debriefed, one of the techniques easily implemented would be bringing them before a grand jury. Now, at that point, it doesn't mean that we can browbeat you and, you know, you know, coerce you or to threaten you to, you know, give testimony in the grand jury. You well, they have can an still absolute plead the, right. Yeah, you can plead the they fifth. They can plead the fifth. But here's where the ball is then put back onto the government to make a critical decision. Let's assume the government had information or probable cause to believe that the parents may have been complicit in either assisting him or doing something in furtherance of after the fact of helping him. Okay. At that point, the government has to make a decision. Mom and dad have pled the fifth. They can then give mom and dad immunity, meaning they are now immunized from any possible prosecution in connection with them being accessories after the fact. If they still say we're not going to testify, they would be brought before a United States District Court judge and they would be held in contempt and then put into jail. The fact that you see mom and dad coming and going, and that has obviously been videotaped almost every day routinely now, tells me that they went into the grand jury. They gave truthful information or what they believed to be truthful information, because when you testify before the grand jury, of course, you're subject to perjury if you lie. So you think so they've already my, been you think they've already been. Oh, before. absolutely. Absolutely. No question about it. No question about it. No huh. question about it. Clearly. Okay. Yes. And so, you know, 
what should a parent do if their child calls him or her and says, I killed somebody? <laughs> you're the well, parent. Look, you and, know, I mean, you're a defense attorney and a former FBI agent, Stuart Kaplan. What would you tell parents to do? So here's what I'm going to tell you. Obviously, I think being a parent is first and foremost. But I think with respect to the landscape and the breadth of your moral and ethical responsibility and just being a good parent, obviously, there are consequences that everybody needs to understand that regardless of whether it's a child or not, there needs to be some atonement or some acceptance of responsibility. Now, with saying that, I don't have a problem with a parent saying, I'm not going to help the prosecution or I'm not going to cooperate with law enforcement. I think that is some right that, you know, our forefathers left blood on the battlefield to give us that constitutionally protected right. And I think, you know, over the years, we've seen some of that, you know, to some extent be eroded. I don't have any problem with you keeping your mouth shut, but I would have a problem with any complicity on mom and dad or any parent trying to then assist their child in either being apprehended or destroying evidence or some facilitation of just compounding what the child may or may not have done. That's where I draw the line. And the FBI now has taken over completely. Northport police are no longer, they're no longer searching that 25,000 acre reserve near Sarasota. That was probably a red herring, do you think? And the FBI did go into their home and took some things out and asked for DNA as well. What's the purpose of all that? And do you think it's wise that they stop searching that reserve? Clearly, there was some information, and I do believe that the FBI did not go on a wild goose chase to go into Carlton Reserve. There must have been some threat of credible information or evidence that led them to that location. Now, there is some indication. Now, again, I don't have this factually to be true, but I know that it's been put out there that at some point, the silver Mustang, meaning Brian Laundrie's uh, car, was observed parked on the perimeter of that Carlton Reserve. And reportedly had left a note on the windshield. Right. And so obviously someone had to drive that car there. Now, again, was that a subterfuge or decoy set up to just lead or to lead investigators to believe that's where he jumped off, meaning he got out of the car and that's why he's disappeared into the swampy lakes? I don't know. But I will tell you, to the extent that the FBI has spent so much money and resources and manpower there for the last week, it does tell me that they had more than not, meaning more credible evidence than just the hypothesis or just speculative information to believe that they should spend some time there. You know, you would think if there was a dead body, if he went in there and killed himself, that there would be vultures. Yeah, I mean, look, wildlife is a great indicator uh, you know, trying to, you know, find him. And clearly they have, they've been using, you know, flyovers, fixed wing aircrafts, helicopters. And of course, in this day and age, drone technology is easily utilized to uh, pick up on those type of things. And the fact that they haven't, to me, I do believe, Karen, that there was some indication more of some digital information, meaning that there may have been a ping or some digital footprint that they picked up on that led them to believe that either her phone or his phone or something that may have given them some definitive indication that at some point something that was on pinged that area. And that and look, that possibility of ever finding a computer, a laptop, an iPhone, that may be forever gone. Mm. I'm not so sure that he himself would be there. Stuart, you have to agree, though, that if this kid is still alive, he is two, three steps ahead of law enforcement. 
he really did have a huge head start on law enforcement. When I say a huge head start, you know, just when you contemplate 24, 48, 72 hours, you know, you know, just take 72 hours. You could be anywhere in the world in, in 72 hours, right? And so if you speculate that if he had a two- or three-day head start, it's possible he could be anywhere. And that may be, you know, some of the issues with respect to apprehending him. And that's why it's just going to take some time. So Interpol, I'm sure, has been notified as well. You, so you think he's on the lam rather than that he's killed himself? Yeah, I do. And I, I think it's more so when you analyze the behavior and the demeanor of, of the parents. Right. It does not seem like the parents are hunkered down in, in a state of mourning. It seems almost like they're going about their routine. That, to me... Uh, first of all, is more consistent with them being cooperative with uh, law enforcement and also with respect to them just maybe understanding that there is some hope that he didn't commit suicide and he's not dead and he's just on the lam. So, Stuart, a lot of high-profile people are coming out of the woodwork on this case. You've got John Walsh, of course, America's Most Wanted. He thinks that this kid has had help from his parents. And then you've got Dog the Bounty Hunter and Jose Baez, who successfully represented Casey Anthony. He has been asked if he's representing the Laundry family. He said, no, I'm not representing the Laundry family. Are you representing the Laundry family? I am not representing the Laundry family. Would you represent them or him if they find him? You know, Karen, there are some cases, to be quite frank, and maybe it's more so now when I'm a father of two children, that I don't believe that the vigor or the tenaciousness of getting everything out of me in connection with this type of case, uh, that I may be the best person. So you don't feel you could zealously defend him? I'm not so sure, regardless of what attorney may end up representing him, as to whether or not in the end it's going to be enough. Uh, look, can I foresee that he's going to go to jail? Yep. Can I foresee that he probably will never see the light of day? Yep. I think the only thing that may be on the table is to perhaps take away the death penalty. But you have to admit there may be mental health issues here. Well, you know, you can always throw up the mental health issue, but I'm not so sure, given the history and the things that have played out that we have learned about, that there may be some domestic history here with physical abuse. This is police dispatch audio. It's the first time it's being heard from August in Moab, Utah. Male hit a female. Subject says hit the curb. First name Brian, layman spelling, last name Laundry. So that was him. They know he hit her. They know he was driving erratically and they didn't arrest him. So you put your defense attorney hat on or your attorney's hat on and say, why was he not arrested? So I can't speak for Wyoming law, but I can speak for here in Florida or up in New York because that's where I'm admitted. And I'll use Florida. When there's a domestic issue and the police come on scene, if the police identify physical signs of injuries, they automatically must apprehend the aggressor or the person who's responsible for inflicting those injuries on the other. Even if the person who's the recipient who has been injured says, I don't want him to be arrested, I don't want to prosecute, in New York and in Florida, and by the way, I believe in most states, the law enforcement hands are tied and they must apprehend that individual. Now, in this particular case, I'm not so sure as to whether or not there were any physical signs of injury with you in Florida. 
uh, regardless of what either one wants to happen, law enforcement hands are tied. They must arrest the person if there are signs of either the unwanted touching, meaning the battery, and or coupled with injuries. So it doesn't matter that there was an eyewitness that saw him hit her. If it doesn't show up on her skin, they don't arrest? Or if she said, I don't want him to be arrested. Actually, the whole story got turned around and she said it was her fault. Well, and there you go. Right, and there you go. And so you have conflicting testimony and the cops clearly are kind of put in a no-win type of situation. And look, um, this is a tough one. I'm not so sure. Uh, And I I think what's going to happen is I see that the uh, police chief in Utah, or one of the police chiefs has taken a leave of absence. And I know it's under the microscope uh, with respect to now being critical and and being investigated. But these are things that happen every day. I mean, Karen, in every day in law enforcement, domestic calls are routine, unfortunately, in our day and age. And these things sometimes happen. And sometimes the police make a judgment call, and sometimes it's not the the right call at the time. Yeah, shoulda, coulda, woulda. So also we've got Dog the Bounty Hunter. The Bounty Ozzy there. Uh, So he's sniffing out Gabby Petito's missing fiance, Brian Laundrie, and apparently he went knocking on his parents' front door of the house in Northport, and they called police. What is the function of a bounty hunter? Does he have any legal jurisdiction? Well, I'm not so sure that I would have taken it upon myself to walk on their property and bang on their door. I think anybody could perceive it as him being harassing or threatening in nature. And, of course, all the laundry family would have to do is call law enforcement and put him on notice that he's now been issued a trespass notice. Uh And if he returns onto the property, he would be then subject to arrest. Uh, So I think that was more of him showboating. I think it was a terrific publicity stunt for him. But again, do I think it advances the ball? Let me let me be clear, Karen. You got the FBI that is the premier law enforcement agency, not only here in the United States, but in the world. Now, I know a lot of people will say there's been a lot of tarnish and a lot of black eyes on the FBI in the last couple of years. And that is true. And to some extent, well-deserved. But I will tell you, the men and women coupled with local and state law enforcement, they want to apprehend Brian Laundry, and they are working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I don't think they need, uh, you know, uh, Dog the Bounty Hunter <laughs> help, to be quite frank with you. I think they have it under control. Yeah, they're no longer focusing on the reserve. They're using intelligence and the tips that they're getting. And you, Stuart Kaplan, as a FBI special agent, formerly and now a defense attorney, can you just give us some idea of what type of intelligence they could be working? Uh, when they mention that, that's human intelligence. That is basically people who believe or who may have come into contact with them at any particular time. And so by way of example, I know there was some uh, indication that he may have been seen exiting a hotel room in Canada. I am a flight attendant and I'm overnighting in Toronto. And I was picking up a DoorDash outside and I noticed this guy was getting flustered walking out of a hotel. He got back into his car and drove off with another guy. And I went downstairs to let the hotel know 
and they said that he didn't know where he was going and he had the wrong hotel and I'm just trying to figure out if this looks like him or if I just fell too far down the rabbit hole. And so when you talk about intelligence, I think at this point they're talking about human intelligence, whether or not someone is an eyewitness who believes they've come into contact with them or has seen them somewhere. And so they'll send out a lead, obviously an immediate lead to try to see if there's any way to verify and corroborate that information and then ultimately be able to identify who that individual is and see whether or not there's that, you know, he is Brian Laundry or just some unfortunate person who's going to get caught up, unfortunately, in being uh, apprehended or detained until uh, they determine it's not Brian Laundry. But that's the type of information that they're looking for. There are other intelligence gathering uh, tools uh, the FBI uh, utilizes. Um, I would prefer not to stay uh, to stay away from that, but I will just tell you, uh, in this day and age, even trying to get a what we deem a ghost phone or a pay phone a where burner. you go into a drugs a burner, I think even that potentially will expose someone uh, to being picked up on intelligence gathering, and I think that would lead more quickly to someone being apprehended. And not to give anybody an idea, but. If you have 72 hours to get an advance head start on law enforcement, what kind of a go pack would you put together? Would you use cash? I mean, how does that, how would that work? Yeah, I mean, clearly you need the ability to support yourself. Now, look, if you remember Eric Rudolph, he was able to yes. disappear into the wilderness and for five years he went unapprehended or he went, you know, without any detection. The and Olympic so Atlanta bomber, yeah. Uh, there you go. And so, you know, there's a perfect example that people do go on the lamb and, you know, look, Whitey Folger up in Boston, if you remember. I mean, he was on the lamb for 20, 25 years. Down I mean, here in until Florida. Such time. And I think Rudolph was hiding out in the Appalachian Mountains. Yeah. So it is possible. Rudolph. I mean, it happens all the time. I mean, look, if you take a look at the top 10 fugitives on the FBI's most wanted list, most of those individuals have been wanted for many, many, many years. And so it is possible to fall off the grid. I will tell you that in this day and age where it is almost impossible to avoid being picked up on technology, whether it's through your use of the computers or smartphones or an iPhone or video surveillance, or facial recognition, it's going to be just a matter of time until someone is apprehended. It may take days, it may take months, years, but eventually, I think, ultimately, technology does catch up with you, and ultimately, the person is apprehended. Even if you're wearing a hat and glasses? Well, look, you know, the interesting thing about Brian Laundry is he's basically clean shaven on top. He has a little facial here. So it is possible for him to, you know, probably easily, because I think it's easier to disguise yourself. He can go get a wig and clean, you know, shave himself and put a ball cap on and probably easily change his features that he may be flying under the radar. But again, the FBI understands and knows how much money he had access to. Okay. They've gotten his bank records. They've gotten the parents' bank records, they can see whether or not there were any cash withdrawals. And so by way of example, let's assume before he took off, they went in and, they, and not they did. They I, they did. I mean, I'm telling you for a matter of fact, they subpoenaed the bank records of mom and dad and Brian Laundry, and they saw cash uh, withdrawals of $5,000, $10,000. So how long can someone live on the lamb with having that amount of money? You can be able to kind of project the type of hotel, the type of facility, where he could hide out, and how long, basically, 
until such time as he's going to have to resurface to get more money to support himself. You know that they subpoenaed the bank records. You don't know the exact amount, though. No, that, an investigative technique that immediately would be done is okay. a grand jury subpoena would issue a subpoena for his bank records, mom and dad's bank records, their cell phone records. Okay. I mean, anything that leaves a footprint is going to be put under the microscope. And also his passport, if he had one, that would oh, be clearly. a bad idea. No, absolutely. I mean, look, but again, Karen, you can get in the car. Look, we're, we're only complaining about the border crossing, right? Going from One Mexico way. into the United States, right? Uh, unfortunately or fortunately, it's just as easy to, to catch a ride in someone's trunk or in the back, the back of a flatbed and get across into some other country as well. You know, fortunately, though, our relationships with some of those border countries have improved to the extent that they are more cooperative than not in the past and would turn him back over to the U.S. All right. And finally, if you were a betting man, how does this thing end? Um, I think eventually he's going to be apprehended. I think that in some way he has some, you know, it's almost, I think, a cat and mouse game. His personality lends itself that he's a controlled person. I think when you look at some of the videos and some of the information that I'm aware of with the, with respect to their relationship, meaning his relationship with the victim, Gabby Petito, he was a controlling individual. And I think to some extent, he's watching and getting some enjoyment out of the cat and mouse game. But I think ultimately his fate will be served with respect to being apprehended and brought before justice. Wow. Thank you so much for all of your insights into this case because it's an international story and you really helped to elucidate some of the things that I didn't even know that were going on. And I really appreciate it. Stuart Kaplan, former FBI special agent, also defense attorney here in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Thank you for joining us on Full Rigor. It's my pleasure. Good to talk to you, Karen. All right. Well, that wraps up this special episode of Full Rigor as we delve into the mystery of where is Brian Laundrie, a person of interest in the murder of Gabby Petito. Until next time, thanks for listening.